nurses and hypochondriacs, the podcast that brings nurse experts, patients, and hypochondriacs together to discuss hot topics in healthcare. And here is your host, Ercilia Pompilio. I'm just going to jump into today's intro with a piece from the book that we're going to be talking about today. So here it goes. I routinely made visits to an apartment that was shared by a bunch of young models. When I showed up, one of them would yell, cookie guy, and a dozen skinny girls would come running from all over. It was just like America's next top model, and I was the tyro male. And that is a passage from the book Baked, Sex, Drugs, and Alternative Comedy, a memoir by John Flynn. And that's right, I have the author on today as my guest, John Flynn, who is super funny. I love his stories. And I even told several stories at his show at the UCB, which was called Oh Hey Guys. So this is a super fun episode. You won't want to miss it. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode was brought to you by Rogue Nurse Media 501c3 and the well-written nurse, empowering nurses and patients to tell their stories. Welcome to the Nurses in the Hypochondriacs podcast, John Flynn. Thank you for having me. Oh my God. I'm so excited to have you on. How are you? I miss, miss, miss. <laughs> um, oh, hey guys. Well, I you. loved coming to Oh, Hey Guys and the UCB. Thank I you. I mean, I so miss that, that place. A fun show. It was a fun show and it was, it was so fun to connect and meet up with all the other storytellers, you know? Yeah, it was nice. I guess, should we tell people what Oh Hey Guys was? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> tell us about yourself. Who are you, John Flynn? <laughs> My name is John Flynn. I am the former host of Oh Hey Guys, which was a weekly uh, storytelling open mic that went, ran for two years in New York. And I want to say five years, maybe six years out here in L.A., the UCB uh, Sunset Space. And it was a weekly storytelling show. People come and just get up and tell stories. And that's how we met. You started coming. How did you hear about it? Um... I don't remember. I think it was from some of the storytelling people. Gotcha. Yeah. You know, I I think so. It might have been Abby Shatner, of course, because she's mm-hmm. been such a great, great mentor for me. Um, or some of the other storytellers, you know, because because I was already producing the Nurses and Hypochondriacs mm-hmm. uh, storytelling show. I had done it at the Fringe. Oh, it was John. What's his name? The other John. <laughs> oh, John. Uh, John. Uh... Bailey uh, Welsh. Yeah, it's John yeah. Bradley Welsh. Yes, Bradley there. Welsh. Oh my God. Please fix that. Please co-producer for <laughs> storytelling show. <laughs> I should get his name right. It yeah. was Jonathan Bradley Welsh who invited me, who said, you know, you should go to Hawaii. Hey, guys, there you go. Yeah, yeah that's, he's wonderful. That's yeah. Um, oh, oh, okay. Okay, thank you. So I just got in trouble with the library lady. So... Okay. <laughs> Apparently the room is not self room, but that's okay. So I am um, here at the Beverly Hills Library, so I will okay. have to tone down today. But gotcha. that's we'll okay. Use our library voices, but that's okay. People we'll use our library volume. voices. I know, I know. So what we're really here to talk about today is your book, and it's kind of it's kind of shaded out there. It's called Baked: Sex, Drugs, and Alternative Comedy. Yes, that's true. 
um, that's yeah, that's a it's a memoir of mine that I wrote that came out about a year ago. That is a all stories of my experiences uh, for many years in New York City. I made my living selling pot cookies to a lot of comedians and other artistic types, and actually all kinds of types. I, you know, as the business grew, I was delivering to finance bros and all kinds of weirdos. Uh, so yeah, so it's just the stories of my experiences selling pot cookies in New York City. I love that. And you did it at a time where nobody else was doing it really, right? Yeah. I mean, it was before, I mean, it was before it was legal in New York. So definitely it was, yeah, it was just something that I, I lucked in on, lucked in on that I stumbled upon where edibles themselves specifically, I, there was no one else that I knew of or that I'd heard of in New York at the time. I'm sure there were New York is a very big place, but who was consistently just selling edibles. And so that was sort of what, uh, caused it to catch on was that it was a nice way because edibles are really good if you want to get high in places where you're not supposed to because you don't have to worry about going somewhere where it smells or you have to light something up so yeah so it was a it was a very fun lucrative and uh, exciting business that I had for a while I love it I mean and then from that came so many different things because you did a one-person show before you wrote the book, right? Yes. The first sort of version of it was kind of as a one-person show because I've done a lot of those and it's something that's very easy, not easy, but like it's easier for me to do. I've done a bunch of them, so whatever. But I tried it a few times, but I found that there was just so much story involved in that whole experience that I was like, I think this is more than just a one-person show. I think there's, it was, it would be impossible to do everything that's in the book in a one-person show. So it, I only did it a handful of times as a show, but then it quickly became something that I was like, all right, this needs to be a book to give it its due. Yeah. I mean, I love your writing because you're such a great storyteller and you teach storytelling you. Do, as yeah. well. I mean, the details were great. Like I felt I was right there with you. You know, oh, I, you. I was, I was teaching a storytelling class yesterday and in one of my sections in part two, we talk about telepathy and how Stephen King uh, talks about how stories are need to really teleport the reader or the audience to where you're at. So you can feel like you're there. And I really felt like I was on that journey with you. I mean, oh, to the point you. to where I got into the middle of the book, you know, because <laughs> I read it when it, it first came out last year. So I got mm -hmm. to the middle of the book where you and Julie Brister went to that <laughs> very interesting party. And we could get yeah. to that later. And she was like, I'm going to wait for you in the car, John, you know? <laughs> so that's where I was waiting in the car with Julie as well. And it wasn't until about a month ago that I picked it up again. And I was like, oh, where did it? Oh, yes, I was waiting in the car with Julie. So let me just continue, you know? And I was so glad that I finished it because it was really, really good. Oh, uh, and I loved like the ending and stuff. So I felt that was great. Julie Brister, by the way, she was my one person show teacher. I took oh, really? her class. Yeah. Oh, at, nice. uh, at the uh, writing pad. So she oh. really helped give awesome jokes. She gave me one amazing line um, when I did the nurse and the hypochondriacs about this one guy who started to tell me about his penis and his phimosis. I mean, he was really drunk. He was someone I had dated <laughs> in the past and he wanted to reconnect with me to kind of make amends and to apologize for oh. his behavior. So he ended up coming drunk again because he was an <laughs> alcoholic. And so he starts telling me this story. He's like, you're a nurse, right? You're cool, right? And he starts <laughs> jumping into this story about his penis and how he went to Argentina and he slept with a woman and he got phimosis. 
this, right? Where he wasn't circumcised, which I didn't know. I didn't sleep with him, right? Uh So his his, uh, foreskin just closed up on him, right? And so Julie was like, you say, and I slept with a dirty whore. (laughs) (laughs) So that was the best line that she gave me for that part that almost got me fired from a pharmaceutical job because um, I was in training and uh, we were at lunch one day and they asked me um, about my show. And so I went ahead and I jumped into that monologue (laughs) and I said, and I slept with um, a dirty whore, you know, Mm. that the guy was like, Oh, he's talking about his phimosis that he slept with a dirty whore, whatever the line really was. And um, so then I get a phone call from my boss, like the next day. And he's like, you were talking about off color humor. Like you were saying off color humor. And I didn't know what off color humor meant. Right. (laughs) And I was like, I didn't make any racist comments. It's just not like me. So that's what I thought it was. And so I about any jokes about a color that's not yours. (laughs) That's what I thought. Right. And so I had a friend at the time who was an attorney. He was also a writer. Like I had met him at the Mm -hmm. writing pad. So I, I asked him about it. He just starts busting up right (laughs) he goes goes, i can't believe you thought off color humor was like you making (laughs) racist comments (laughs) but it does make sense right i just Mm -hmm. was like i I, it was just bizarre so the wildest thing was my boss who called me out on it he used to work for pfizer and i go i was just talking about a penis i go it's a medical (laughs) thing i'm a pediatric nurse practitioner of course that was not my role i was doing more Mm -hmm. marketing and, um, you know, I go, you used to work for Pfizer and talk about penises all the time. What's wrong with that? You know, <laughs> relax, buddy. I was like, relax, <laughs> you know, 90 day, uh, suspension, or I, I got placed on a 90 day, like something suspension. Oh, or something. Like we're looking hilarious. at you for 90 days. Yeah, we're watching it. you. really they really told you yeah right Mm. right so let's jump into your book like you know i love how you started your career in um Mm. show business to say the least (laughs) and you know and and but i I really love the story, which is trending. This is, I told this story from your book on my TikTok and I got a lot of like, I got like over a thousand. Yeah. It's the story where the deathbed confession that your grandfather told you. So let's talk about that. And then we can go a little bit more into the book, which I find so fascinating. So yeah, many, many years ago, my grandfather was, was dying. He was literally on his deathbed. I went to visit him for the last time and we had a really wonderful conversation, but he told me a story that I had not heard. And that, so apparently my grandmother who had died two years before my grandfather had died, she had died never knowing that she was adopted. What had happened was when my grandfather wanted to uh, when they wanted to, you know, you want to marry my grandmother. And so he did the thing that was very traditional at the time where he called up her father to ask for permission. And her father said, meet me for lunch tomorrow. And over lunch, my great, great grandfather, who I never met, told my grandfather that um, he's like, well, I just want you to know my, you know, Betty, who's my grandmother, she's adopted and she doesn't know it that she's adopted. And I don't want her to know it. So if you tell her, I told you this, I'll tell you you're lying. Um, but since you're marrying her, you you have the right to know. Very misogynist. I apologize for that, for that the old time misogyny. Um, 
And so my grandfather Very just said- patriarchy, patriarchy. Exactly. I think that's the politically correct word. <laughs> yes. Uh, and so my grandfather said, well, it doesn't matter to me. And so, you know, then he, you know, he was given permission and he just never told my grandmother and we, but he, he never told anybody. He told us after she had died and he's when, you know, we had asked him, we were like, well, why did you, did, why didn't you tell her? And he's like, well, it, it didn't matter. And he's like, if I told her before her father had died, he would have said, I was a liar. And if I told her after her father had died, she just wouldn't have been like, it would have been confusing. And maybe I was lying. You know, he just felt he felt like that, you know, there was no value in him telling her because, again, it didn't matter to him. Um, but although I know a lot of people I've heard have said that that you should tell people like, but I think that was just the the thing at the time. We still don't know the story of why my grandmother was adopted or what where, you know, for a while there was a people were thinking that maybe she was like who she thought was her like sister or her aunt was actually her mother, but wow. uh, we have no idea. But yeah, isn't that weird? That is so weird. He like pulls you over before he dies and he's like, John. <laughs> well, he actually told all of us, like when, as we were all oh. having like our sort of like final like meeting and conversation with him, that sort of like was a very thing, a thing he mentioned a lot. But uh, yeah. That is so a great, crazy. how do you go, how do you go your whole life knowing the secret about your mate, about your wife. Right. Isn't that and weird? And then you never tell her, you know, and your your grandfather was a doctor, right? He's a doctor. Yeah. And I don't think he like, didn't tell her out of any malicious reason. I think there was, I think for him, it was just like, oh, well, there's really no point to this. Like, I think for where he was coming from is that she didn't like, it didn't change anything. It didn't make a difference to, it didn't make a difference to how he felt about her. I don't think he thought it would make a difference for her. But what is funny too about that is that I remember I, of course, remember my grandmother, but when I was like five or six. My great grandmother was still alive. My mother's my grandmother's mother. And mm -hmm. she stayed with them. She was very sick. You know, it was like she was like in a room, you know, like and I could tell even as a very young child that they didn't like each other, that their relationship was very like contentious. And I wonder if like her, you know, my grandmother's my great grandmother was sort of like resentful of her adopted daughter for some reason. I don't know. She's oh. also an only child. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's such a crazy story. Those deathbed confessions do very, very well for some reason. On <laughs> so as a nurse, I bet you've heard some crazy ones. Not really. I haven't been in those situations uh, uh -huh. with people. It was only one time and I, and I did do this on TikTok and it was, um, I was taking care of my neighbor's sister, um, in the hospital. It was just a coincidence. And, um, she lived on the same street as well. My brother used to do her gardening, you know, when we were kids and, um, and she was, she, she was a very bad diabetic. So she had like both of her legs amputated. It was just really terrible. So she was kind of on the downer and um, my neighbor had been such a nasty woman forever, you know, very not nice person, um, rickety old. And she had been there ever since like the house has got built on our <laughs> right. street, kind of one of those people, mm -hmm. you know, oh, my father owned the whole block type of thing, you know, when it was farmland. And um, so, um, you know, and, and so the woman had told me, she's like, yes, my, my, um, my sister is a very nasty person. She's always been that way to me. And just the nasty things that she would do to her as a child, you know, uh, and, and had shown me who this woman was like, she's always like that. Cause you know, some people could be really nice at home and really nasty. You know, they have this oh, sure, alter yeah, yeah. personality or mm -hmm. vice versa. Right? right. But this woman was always like that. <laughs> 
told me. So she was like assuring defense, me. She was consistent. Yes. Yeah. She was assuring me. And I remember leaving the room and then the sister was coming in my neighbor and she was like, all like, Oh, my sister deserves everything. It was like, it was like a, a Falcon crest or dynasty episode. <laughs> my sister, she, she deserves everything that she's getting to her. She was not healthy, you know, and she Ooh. had a terrible life, you know, and type of thing. And, and then I hear her talking about me. Well, that nurse, she's just an associate degree nurse. You know, and at that time I was, um, <laughs> but one day I remember she goes, Oh, I hear you're a nurse practitioner. Now that must be very fulfilling. <laughs> Before she, what, uh, died. she she lived quite a long time, up to like wow. 101 or something. Yeah, you know, only the good die young. Yeah, and my dad was always like, "You're gonna die before me." Like he would always <laughs> tell her that. He's <laughs> like, "You're gonna Doris, you're gonna die before me." I know it. <laughs> and she used to, um, for a while there, my my mom was getting her mail opened, and she couldn't figure it out. And she would ask the postwoman, like, she's like, why is my mail coming open? The woman would be like, I don't know, you know, mm. but it was the neighbor, like the caretaker of the neighbor came, who was another neighbor. She came to tell my mom, I don't know how to tell you this, but Doris has been opening up your mail. And so my mom told me and I reported her to the federal government, you know, cause that's yeah, a crime. That's illegal. Yeah. It's illegal. And uh, my mom was like, don't do that. She, I go, she knows what she's doing. Come on. I go, <laughs> It was all yeah. very well. It was opened up with a letter opener and everything. And she goes, I kept asking the postwoman. I go, the postwoman knows. Like she just. <laughs> They're like, look, we don't want to. It was just so crazy. So funny. Anyway, getting back to your book. <laughs> so how do you want to start being a performer and an actor? It seems like you were always drawn to it from a oh, very yeah. young age. I mean, ever since I was a little kid, I just loved doing shows. You know, I was that. I was a theater kid, you know, like I auditioned for all the shows at my school. I tried to get my parents to let me audition for shows at, you know, other places. And so it was just something I always did. I studied it in college and then it was always a plan. I'm from New Jersey. So it was always just like, and then I'll move to New York City and, you know, and become a big star. Uh, so that was, it was sort of, I can't remember a time where I didn't think that this is what I was going to do with my life. I love that. And I love how you started out at like a theme park, right? I used to work at Disneyland. My, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of my big summer jobs in college was I worked in uh, at Hershey Park. I was uh, one of the performers in what they called the rock show. And it was just like a 30 minute show where we did, you know, like a 50s medley, a 40s medley, a Madonna medley, an Elvis medley. And we did that five <laughs> times a day. It was like you did the show for 30 minutes. You had 30 minutes off. You did the show again for another 30 minutes. You did that five times a day. And, you know, it was the summer I turned 21. So I had all this energy and just and not a care in the world just that's yeah that's super fun I remember the show people at Disneyland they were very interesting you know what did you do they, at Disney um I was I was uh Tinkerbell no what? <laughs> I, tell, I tell people that it's not no I was a nurse there you know oh, okay, um, gotcha. yeah I saw the whole uh new park so go up see, like the back sort of like the backstage a lot yeah yeah all the time like we would go um on Saturdays one of my co-nurses uh we go uh have pancakes like in the cafeteria place for the mm -hmm. 
what were we called? So there was a guest side and we were the cast. So we were the cast right. side, mm-hmm. right? So uh, we go there and the princesses would always be in their underwear having <laughs> breakfast. All oh, right, because they can't <laughs> eat in costume. <laughs> they can't yeah. eat in costume. So they'd be like in their costume underwear, which was always so funny, you know? And I was just like, oh my God. So you got to see this backstage stuff Mm -hmm. of all these characters, people with their heads off and uh, which is a no, no uh, on sets, you know, uh, in the park. So um, yeah, but we would get people from the parade. Like I remember one time um, one of the princesses, uh, twisted her ankle, like doing a dance on a float and kind of mm. fell off the float. But then Prince Charming picked her up and remained in character and brought her into her office. Yeah. So, <laughs> so romantic. Yeah. <laughs> so Garrett, you know, mm-hmm. it was so funny, but they had to do that. So it was yeah, a kind yeah, of yeah. fun time. I was there almost two years. So, um, and it was neat to see, um, uh, the California Adventure go up and downtown oh, Disney yeah. and all that. So that was a very neat time to be there. So, you know, it was great. I'm grateful for that time. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So that's something we have in common. <laughs> One of the parts of the show, your book is, I love how people, first of all, um, gave you the, um, their oh, Yelp reviews, their, their tes- reviews, <laughs> their testimonies. I love yeah. that. Um, yeah. There's um, a thing in the book running through it where, uh, I got, I just reached out to a lot of people who had had these cookies that I had made and was, cause so many people would come to me and be like, you won't believe the story that I had one of your cookies and dot, dot, dot happened. And so I got a lot of people to share their stories. So those are sprinkled throughout the book. Yeah. I love that. So how did you come up with the idea to make these cookies again? The idea came, I mean, it was just something, I don't remember how it first started, but it was like, I had a group of friends. We just like, I mean, we just like getting high. And I always thought I was always like, Oh, I wonder what edibles would be like. There was just at, again, this was at a time where like there were no dispensaries. It wasn't legal anywhere. And so it's just, it was just something that I was always sort of like kind of curious about and uh, played around with it with a few friends of, you know, and just would like have share them with friends. And then I needed the whole thing started me doing it as a business started because I my friend Jackie Clark and I had written a show that was a parody of the movie Showgirls, and we yes, needed to that's take right. it. Uh, we were invited to take it to the San Francisco Sketch Festival, and so we had to fly, you know, the cast of eight people and put us up in a hotel and all that fun stuff. And so we decided to try them. And people had, I had, you know, baked cookies at that point. People had some people, a lot of people liked them. So I was like, well, let's do a fundraiser. So like we went to a party and I just sold, we made a couple thousand dollars. Why not? We made all the money yes. we needed in one night. For your show, right? Yeah, that's right. It it um, helped produce the show. And I so actually that's... really love Showgirls, by the way. Oh, it's a really. I mean, it's a definitely an entertaining movie. <laughs> <laughs> I do love that movie. Um, as crazy as it is, I I, I just kind of loved her hero's journey with it. You know, it's yeah. Kind of I mean, quirky. it is funny. Like, I did you see it? Like when it came out, I remember going. To I see did. It when it came out. I remember yeah. seeing the trailer, thinking, "Oh, this movie is going to be awesome," and seeing it opening, maybe opening night. Mm-hmm. And, and having the journey of like, oh, no, this movie's not good to then being like, oh, wait, it's incredible. Yeah, it's so nuts. It's just bananas. Yeah. And that's what it's just so like, you're just like, it's good because it's so bad. Yeah. Kind of thing, you know, but um, it's so great. Maybe there's a new theater by my mom's house called Videots. And it used to be the Eagle oh, Theater. Oh, yeah. Videots is great. 
Yeah. Yeah. So they're showing um, these types of second rate movies, I guess you want to call them or movies from the past, you know, which yeah. is a better term, but um, <laughs> I should ask the owner to to run showgirls and have you come to commentary. That would be so fun. <laughs> that would be oh my fun. God. That would be fun. We'll get it set up. But yeah, I also liked how, you know, you just had such great business sense, but you learned that I felt it was so detailed for an entrepreneur with the ingredients, the recipes, how you got very precise on how much mm-hmm. butter you were using, you know, how <laughs> right. much pot, how much all of yeah. this stuff. The real trick it, was figuring it was out like how a to science. make the butter. Yeah. It was a, yeah, it was, it was a, <laughs> It was a lot of uh, it was it would be a great montage, but yeah, it was a, the, the the big trick is about how to make the butter. Once you figure out how to make the butter, then you just use it like regular butter in whatever recipe you want to use. But it took a while to figure out how to like do I strain it, do I boil it, do I freeze it? There's all these different methods, and then I finally found the one that like and I you know sometimes it would work, sometimes it would kind of work, and you know they could be hit or miss. But I finally found hit on this one method that worked like a champ every single time, and it just and it just made it. So so made the cookies so powerful uh, very easily. And if you want to, uh, there's a recipe in the book. If you want to know how to make your own pot cookies, you can, uh, you can do it by following the I recipe in the book. It. You are so ahead of your time with this, with the whole <laughs> idea. Look, at, you had the pot cookies before, sure. like, you know, everything right, right, was edibles uh, and legalization before sure. edibles and legalization. And then you were like Uber Eats before that oh, was even true. a thing. That's true. <laughs> For just one one thing. Because <laughs> you were delivering, right? Yeah, I didn't have like a storefront or there wasn't like a place that I would go to. Like it wasn't like I would hang out in Central Park or, you know, Washington Square Park and just be like, who's got cookies? Uh, it was very word of mouth. So I would I would go to parties sometimes but like, you know, at, at UCB or other places and walk around with cookies. But then it just became a matter of because initially I was just we were just going to do it that one night. But then a couple of days later, a bunch of people reached out to me and were like, hey, are you making more cookies? I would like some or I know people who are interested in buying some if you ever make more. And so that's how it came about. It just it was just a, a delivery server, service. There's again, no storefront or, or anything like that. Yeah, I love that. I also love the Oksana Bayul, um, <laughs> the musical what was that? that I did with her, the musical that you did with the ice mm-hmm. skating, I like talk yep. about that. I did a in, in the midst of all this, I was did a show on Long Island. It was an original figure skating musical that starred Oksana Bayul. The entire stage was made out to be a skating rink, like it was a it's an ice skating rink. People skated. It literally was skating. I was one of the. It was the premise of it was it was a four excuse me, three male and female skaters all competing in the winter games. I played a sports announcer, so I didn't have to skate or even walk on the ice until the curtain call. I was either, there was a little section on the side that was like the newscast or there was a bridge that went over everything. So I was one of the fortunate people who rarely had to deal with the ice. But everyone else, like there was skating, but all the scenes took place pretty much on the ice. And so people had to just walk on ice all the time. Even if you weren't skating, they had these things that were, it was just like a, like a cleat they put over your shoe. It was like a rubber thing with little spikes on it. And so people, but it took them a while to get enough of those for the entire cast. So there were some people who just had to like be very carefully walk on ice. It was nuts. It was a crazy, crazy time, but I loved it. What a what a very interesting production, you know. It wasn't it called Cold as Ice or something. Cold as Ice is the name of the show. Yes. <laughs> so insane! Wow, it was nuts. It, yeah. Um, what I also liked 
about the book as well is you also service a lot of nurses, nursing students. You had like psychologists I had non- yeah, who were buying from you. I had an oncologist who used them. She said she used them a lot with her cancer patients. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, the, the breadth of, I mean, uh, <laughs> hot take, a lot of people enjoy marijuana. Uh, <laughs> so like it, there was a pretty wide reaching uh, coterie of customers that I had. It was really nice. I really, I have to say, like, I really enjoyed that job. And that, that part of it is something that I really miss, or I thought like I really enjoyed of just like, you know, I would spend my day for the most part, just traveling around New York city all by myself, and then just going to meet people. And I can be, you know, seven or eight people a day. And every, and as I say in the book, every time you see someone, they're happy to see you there. So they're always like, yay, the, the cookie guy's here. So you always felt good. You know, it's like, you're always walking into a party and just yeah. like having fun conversations with all different kinds of people, you know, to, and it was always like quick, you know, like five to 10 minutes of just like, Hey, what you up to? What are you doing? Da, da, da. Uh, and it was such a great way to make a living. <laughs> all these people were such characters in your book too, mm-hmm. which I love. They were so colorful characters. And in writing, I always tell people that because in my stories, you know, I do date a lot and I have these very interesting men that I date. They're like, they're almost kind of like cartoon characters, sure. but they're very um, detailed in how they dress and and they're very, very interesting. It's almost like I'm writing my own screenplay, you know? Yeah. Um, and so some of my friends will be like, bring back the Texan or bring back. <laughs> what? Like, Go on another date with that guy. I want to see what's up yeah. with him. They're like, bring him back into your, your <laughs> storyline you know yeah. and i'm like no no that storyline's over you know yeah, they're different like for yeah, the reality is a little different than just the story about it yeah exactly. <laughs> but it's kind of like you had all these very interesting characters that would like purchase from you you know yeah. like that one guy the really rich guy that you dated that was really oh, sure. funny well he didn't buy any drugs but yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah, guy. he was a he was a friend's brother who I ended up, I ended up going on a few dates with this guy who was a millionaire, <laughs> and he ended up ending things after two dates because I was a drug dealer. <laughs> but he was an alcoholic, so it was never going to work, you know. <laughs> exactly, drug dealer, alcoholic. <laughs> but one of the interesting things about this whole book and your whole journey in, into selling the cookies was that your dad is a judge. Wasn't your dad true. a judge? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was before that. He was like the senior district, at, uh, the uh, senior DA for the state of New Jersey. Um, so, yeah, he was uh, very much into the legal. <laughs> you kind of so, yeah. had connections. <laughs> <laughs> if I got in trouble, there's some calls I could have made. <laughs> he didn't do it. My father had no, no, no knowledge of this. He had nothing to do with it at all. But, you know, again, if I had been caught, I... <laughs> I probably wouldn't have been, I, I could have been uh, okay, I guess. And you don't really mention that in the book because that I think is a very interesting, like if you were to write a screenplay, I think you need to give your dad a bit of a role in this somehow, sure. maybe. I mean, I think, I, I think it happened, would be an interesting twist. You if know? anything had actually right. happened, he would have played a much bigger role in the book. But luckily, I got in and out of the game without any, without getting caught or having any legal issues. So there was no no need to to drag my poor father into this anymore than he ever did. afraid. Like, oh, because I remember you were kind of hesitant telling your family, like you told your sister or something. And yes. They were like, eh, okay. Like they really didn't care, right? So. <laughs> Well, I didn't really, I mean, I told one sister in case anything happened, but I told the, I mean, they all know now they've all read the book, but yeah, I think it was, I think it would have been very different if they knew I was doing it as opposed to I had done it. Right. 
so because funny. It's, if it's a thing in your past you can be like oh you whereas like if i was doing exactly. it now they could be like oh you could you something could yeah. happen yeah well now it's legal and you could kind of make a bigger business about it going to the dispensaries and selling your brand possibly I but mean. i think what what i joked at even at the time was like the thing that would shut me down would be health code violations not the not because I was gross, but like, I was just making, I was doing all this in my kitchen and I'm sure if, right. this, if this was a legitimate business, if you know, like <laughs> it's people not do a, it all the time. It's Los Angeles. People like look at, no, no, no. Of course. But yeah, if I, if I tried to do an above board business, I would have to have a health inspector come in and make sure that the oven was this. Right. And there was this, you know, whatever, whatever those things are. It's very um, interesting. Yeah. But I love the ending too, on how the cookie had such a great purpose, you know? Yeah. Um, with uh, your friend who her mother died of cancer and she mm-hmm. was riddled with all these health bills and yeah. people had told you to sell the business and you're like, who would want this cookie business? And all right. of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. So I ended up selling it to a friend of mine who uh, she, as you said, yeah, she, she was in a really tough spot. I was looking to get out of the business and she was in this situation where her mother had just died and her mother had all, and she had all these medical bills that she was just overwhelmed with. And I was like, well, do you want this business? It, you know, like, you can make over a thousand dollars a week and not report any of it to taxes. <laughs> and uh, so she didn't. So what was a really amazing, it did make me feel good was that in less than a year, she was like, I've covered, I've paid all the bills. It's all, which was amazing. I love mm-hmm. that. It had such a great purpose. It was like a, almost like a full circle story. And then you met your husband, yep. uh, right. And, um, and he that. was always, what was it? Um, he wanted to be on uh, Jeopardy, right. Or Wheel yep. of Fortune. He was it was Jeopardy. Jeopardy. Yep. Yeah. And so he got on. He right? got on Jeopardy. Yeah. I remember and he got when... on when Alex was the host still. So he was in the, in the classic Jeopardy time. That's so neat. Did he win any? Because I remember um, you had announced it at the UCB that he was really studying to yes. be on the show. He was studying a lot. Um, uh-huh. He came in second place when he when he did it on his episode. You can't find it anymore. But what was also sort of interesting about, so I got to go and watch. And so because we live near where Jeopardy is filmed, he was mm-hmm. an alternate, which meant that he was there. There was a because they do, they film five episodes a day. Here, here, here's the tea on Jeopardy. They film five <laughs> episodes a day. And so they have a few extra contestants in case anything happens. And so they'll have like, so there's him and two other guy and they were sort of like the extra contestants. So in case someone got sick or someone didn't show up or whatever, both of both of um, my husband and this other guy, they live nearby. So what they said was, if you don't get chosen this time, we will bring you back and you will definitely be one of the contestants. You know what I mean? So there are like six oh, yeah. people there who know they're going to go, you know, five people there who know they're going to be going up. So my husband was chosen. He was the last uh, game of the day. And so one thing, so what I would, but I got to see all five episodes getting taped. And so, oh, you know cool. how, when um, they read the question, they just show the, the they just show like the blue card. That is the question. Yeah. Uh-huh. Part of the reason why they do that is because occasionally, you know, Alex Trebek will misspeak or sort of like trip over a word. And so <laughs> what will happen is they'll just have him re-record the question later. And it's so easy. They don't have to sync up the, they don't have to worry about any visuals because it's just a voiceover over a card. And so what happened on the final Jeopardy is Alec on this episode, I don't remember exactly the question, but Alex Trebek misspoke a little bit where it made it seem like the answer, I think, was tree hugger. But he spoke like it was a type of person, but Alec misspoke in a way that made it seem like they were looking for a specific name of someone, like someone specific, not like, a you know, like not just like like Florence Nightingale as opposed to like a nurse kind of thing. So one of the contestants guessed incorrectly because they thought, oh, they wanted they're looking for a, a specific name. But it turned out so like he got to come. So technically, I don't know. So anyway, Brian came in second, but he 
because of the thing, he would have come in third. But anyway, he came in second is what happened. Oh, that's but awesome. It was fun to watch. Yeah. Um, that's so but yeah, it was so great to fulfill see. that dream. That was that it, exactly. Yeah, that's so cool. I mean, how many people go, Oh, I want to do that, and they never do anything, but like he did it. So. He did it, and it's not easy. It's not <laughs> you have to no. say, he took the test for years, but I think once you get past the test, because then he had like a round where he had to go in and like meet with the person who books all the guests, and that person was like, If you get if you make it to this round, assuming you're either not like just a dead eyed like weird psychopath or like right. super in super crazy. Like if you're just a normal person, like you'll probably get on if you can get yeah. past the test. Where is the Netflix docuseries on that? They have not done it yet. I am very I surprised. Know. You know, has there been a big scandal on Jeopardy? I think that's what it means. It's not like, Oh yeah. Luck, you know? I'm sure there's been, you know, story mm-hmm. like weird story. Yeah. Cause it has to be a very like, you know, peak with the climax and stuff like right, that. Right, like, right. Oh my God. What people, was, the what drama? was that guy that who took over who, the first guy who took over from Alex Trebek, who was like, Oh, I'll just hire myself. Remember that he lasted for like less than a week or something like you did like two weeks know. of shows. It was nuts. Oh my gosh. I don't know. I don't, I don't remember. It's so funny, but yeah. I mean, let's talk about storytelling a little bit. How did sure. you start doing storytelling shows in Los Angeles? I mean, at the time, like around 2015, I think it was like a, a peak, you know, where there were a lot of um, independent yeah, producers. I started, I'd started in New York. And I started there because there was a show at the UCB. I I had done like longer, like one person shows that were kind of storytelling driven. But then as far as like what we think of as more storytelling now, which is more like, you know, four or five storytellers get up or that kind of shows. uh, I had started, there was a show that started in New York by Chris Gethard called Nights of Our Lives. And it was just a bunch of stories. You know, it was a monthly show and it was usually five different people got up and told stories, but that show had a lot of regulars. So there there was like four regulars and then a bunch of semi-regulars. And it was all like incredible people who were doing it. You know, this was like Chris Gethard, uh, Anthony Atamanek, Curtis Gwynn, John Mulaney, John Gabris, Adam Pally, Nick Kroll, like all these incredible storytellers, but, uh, and, and me. And so I started doing that. And then uh, that was something that I just sort of took off for me in New York. And I got asked to do that a lot. And I got asked to do other shows. And that's when I, st- I first started doing Oh, Hey Guys out there. And then when I came and out you to created, LA. You created Oh, Hey yeah, Guys, right? Uh, that was yeah, yours. Was a, it was something that the artistic director in the, in New York, his name is Nate Dern. He was like, I think we should have an open mic storytelling show and I think you should host it. And so that's how Oh Hey Guys happened. And so then I, what's nice about the Upper Art Citizens Brigade is that there was a theater in New York and a theater in LA. So when I came out to LA, it was like, I was immediately connected to all these people in this, in this big institution. And so they said, yeah, why don't you do it? Right. So yeah. they, when they had about their new space, they're like, Hey, do you want to do your oh, storytelling open mic here? So that's how that started. And yeah, it's just something I really, uh, I really like doing. I think it's something I don't know. It's I, I never like consciously like set out to do it, but it just sort of like happened. And uh, I love it. I mean, it's it's almost the same as, as stand up, but it's just a little bit more personal. I think. I think the only difference I think is that audiences at storytelling shows are like, it's cool if we're not laughing for a while. I mean, they definitely want right. to laugh, but they're like more okay with like, okay, we're going we're getting a little more serious here. Right. And like I said, I always loved that. I always loved Oh Hey Guys because it gave mm-hmm. us a chance to work out like stories or with me. Um, it was whatever I was writing, you know, yeah. or um, either 
a story that I was working on for another show mm-hmm. or my own show, you know, and it was great. And it was great to come together with the other producers and storytellers in Los Angeles. Cause it was like kind of a meeting space Yeah, because uh, we had, you had Scott from the, um, the right, bus busted. show. Yeah. <laughs> It's all these characters. I mean, yep. the storytellers are all very interesting characters. So, um, I mean, it was a great place for me to go ahead and look for storytellers for my show. And you right. came on my show, that's which was right. great. And that's on my, uh, the nurses and hypochondriac storytelling video that I have on YouTube. Ooh, so you were in there talking <laughs> about your testicles. I oh, remember. Sure, yeah. <laughs> Story, which that was might great. be the first story I told at nights of our lives, actually. I think it might have been. Oh, is it? How yeah. funny. Oh, it, it was the same story. Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow, how how you just had um a hydrocele, but your uh testicles had like swollen so up. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's swollen twisted. up. Yeah, oh, one of them. Yeah. yeah. It was just one of them had done it, one of them had twisted. Or torsion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Testicular torsion. And uh yeah, and then you had the woman pray over you and yeah. you were healed. <laughs> yep. And I, I was a, a cleaning lady at the hospital, came in and prayed over my nuts, and I was healed. You love Doctors that. could do nothing, but the cleaning lady, she had it. <laughs> oh, my God. That was so funny. And you teach storytelling as well. How did you get to teaching that? I mean, you're such a, you're such a great writer and you're very, very, I feel like you're very patient, uh, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. Uh, Again, it was through UCB. They just said, uh, you know, storytelling as a thing. It's funny. Yeah. Like storytelling in New York definitely like became trendy for a while. And I think that also happened out here in LA where people, and it's, I mean, it's true now you see everyone in interviews like, well, really, I think of myself as a storyteller. I know. I talk about that now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I talk about that in my storytelling classes. Cause when we go back to talking about what storytelling is, Mm -hmm. it's like, uh, someone is not a film director. They are now a storyteller, right, you yeah, know, yeah. I'm not an actor, and, and a storyteller. I am a storyteller, you know, cause it has this kind of like, um, I don't know, upper VIP yeah. status or something. I don't know what that's it's a all pretentious about. is what you're saying in a nice way. Yeah, yeah. It's like pretentious. And I'm just like, that's really not it, you know? And I guess, and so, right, yeah. Uh, again, UCB, they became this thing and they were like, we want to teach classes on this. Would you like to start teaching? Oh, and also Margot Lightman, who's another oh, wonderful yes, Margo Lightman. She had been teaching great. there and then she yes. moved out to LA. And so they were like, do you want to, do you want to start teaching storytelling? Uh, since she's gone. And so that's how that happened. As Margo mm-hmm. left and I sort of took over. In New York, yeah. New and York. then she was mm-hmm. teaching in LA and she wrote mm-hmm. her book. Yep, um, yep. She, she would throw me some students. Sometimes she'd be like, she's like, oh, I have this girl and she's talking about fecal implants. I think she'd be really good for your show. <laughs> fecal implants? Fecal implants. Like huh. she'd be like, I don't know what this is. And I was like, <laughs> she, was, she, says uh. she gives a fecal implant and mm-hmm. I think she would be really good for your show. I'd be like, Oh, because she goes, she just spends the whole class talking about feces. Ooh, <laughs> like, you're like, shit. You're like, why do you think, why do you think I want her? Why do you think I want her? I mean, because I'm a nurse. I mean, come on, stereotypical. Jeez. Like, <laughs> just because my nurse doesn't mean I like to talk about shit all the time. <laughs> so funny. Oh my God. Yeah. I use her book for um, a reference. I, I oh, yeah. feel it's a really great, great book. So did you like, have you gotten any very odd students or a student that has always stood out for you? You know, uh, story. Yeah, I've had some some odd students. Um, I've had 
but um, no one who was like horrible. Like I've never had to like take a student out of class or like, you know, do anything, uh, nothing bad like that's happened. I've mm-hmm. had more like funny stories. Like one, like um, I remember this, one of the first times, first class I ever taught, there was a um, a guy who got up and told a story about a date that had gone awry and, and, and what have you. And it was funny and we worked on it, whatever. Uh, about a year later, totally different class. Uh, I have a female student up, uh, you know, telling a story about a date that she was on that went awry. And in the midst of it, I was going, hold on. You're like, I, I think I know just... this story. It was, it was the other part, part of that date. It was the That's woman genius. that the guy had dated. And it was so, and I was just like, oh shit, this is this. And so in giving, I didn't say anything, but in giving notes, like um, there's one part, you know, they're at a restaurant. And so as, as I was like giving feedback and I was like, so then you're at this restaurant. And I'd like said, it was this restaurant, or, like said, like a name of restaurant. And what happened was when he told the story, he said the actual name of the restaurant. And for whatever reason, when she told it, she made up a different name, but I said the actual name of it. So it's like, uh, so it was that restaurant. And she was like, uh, that's not what I said, but yeah, that was the restaurant. And I was like, oh shoot. I was, I was, out I of love it. what are the odds? Wow. Know, right. That's such um, a synchronicity. But what's nice. I'm sure I, I imagine you experienced this too. Teaching storytelling too is how some people occasionally will just have like a, a, a breakthrough, like in their yeah. life. That's so mm-hmm. amazing. Like one time I had a student tell a story about how, when he was in high school, he had started a, a relationship with one of his teachers. Wow. Uh, that's a good teachers. one. <laughs> and uh, you know, so he told that story and, and it, it sort of like was ugly in that, like it, within the story, he was trying to break up with the teacher, but the teacher like wouldn't let him. So anyway, so afterwards I was like, Oh, I'm so sorry that happened to you. And he's like, it's okay. I'm fine. And so like, we talk about the story, whatever. And then the following week he came back in cl- uh, the following week in class after he had told, he told, you know, he, that class's story. But then afterwards he's like, Oh, I just, he's like, I have something to tell you. And I was like, okay. And he's like, remember that story I told last week? And I was like, yeah, I remember that story. He goes, that was the first time I ever told it out loud. And I went home and then I called my sister after class last week and we've hired a lawyer and we're bringing this guy, you know, up on charges. Wow. Yeah. You know, it's amazing how like when given that space, some people really some things can really happen for people. Yeah, it comes out of the subconscious. I mean, it stays really stuck. um, What I've found in my own stories and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've done a lot of hypnotherapy and in my class, I also teach a little bit of hypnotherapy about the conscious and the subconscious mind and how stories can kind of be really pushed down into your subconscious, kind of like the movie Inception, uh, where Leonardo DiCaprio keeps his wife like in, I, I don't know if you've watched the movie uh, recently, I but did, he keeps, recently, but... yeah, um, he keeps them, his wife in this hotel room and it's kind of stuck in a prison because mm-hmm. she has committed suicide. Right. And he blames himself. So he's like latched onto this story, you know, and it's mm-hmm. not until the architect goes into his subconscious and like frees him of it you know, and she has it out with the wife that's stuck in the subconscious. (laughs) It's not really alive, but that's kind of what happens. Um, I'm reading uh, the book that just came out by Haruki Murakami. Mm -hmm. Um, It's novelist as writer, which is really good. And I just read this passage uh, the other day about how, um, how like 
ideas and uh, stories are like, what did it say? Like intellectual innovate, they're like ideas, you know, Mm -hmm. and that is where ideas come from. Ideas come from like these things that happen in our life, you know, Uh and they're kind of all stored into the subconscious. And I was like, yeah, it's like storytelling. In my class, I have a, a, a writing prompt that, um, is best day ever, worst day ever, best job ever, worst job ever. And that, and that is in the second part of my class. So I teach my part, my class in three sessions. Mm -hmm. So beginning, middle and end. So that's the middle part, uh, Mm -hmm. writing prompt. People always, I, I kid you not have a breakdown, Yeah, you know, and they, you know, cry. It's just something that is, you know, coming out. Oh, you know, it's kind of like I'm an exorcist of sorts. Don't you feel like that? <laughs> that you're kind of like this so, yeah. storytelling shaman exorcist. You're like, oh, you know, <laughs> I remember I was with um, a fellow storyteller one night um, in little Tokyo and we were like sitting at this sushi bar and he was asking me about my past. Like, he's like, you never mm. talk about you being married. Like I would have never thought mm. about that. I go, well, it was when I was 26 years old. I mean, <laughs> you know, like I'm now I'm 50, but I was like, why would I bring it up and talk about it? You know? Mm. And so I don't know what he did, but he kind of like nudged me to where I started talking about it. And I started convulsing at oh. the table. I was like, <laughs> like doing that thing that my students do. And, <laughs> and all of a sudden, I don't know what it was, but it, I felt like he did this kind of put his hand in and did this and oh, pulled fine. something out. And I was like, and all of a sudden I stopped and I'm all, what did you just do? What was that? <laughs> and he's all like, I'm an exorcist. And what? that was it. And we never talked about it again. I, I guess that is a conversation ender. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing ever. And it was like a very late night, you know, it was like 12 <laughs> o'clock like or, you know, 12, you know, 12 a.m. Or, mm. or something when this happened. But, you know, and actually I felt so much better. I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, it always, if, if there's there. something that like needs to get out, it always feels better when it gets out. Yeah. This energy needs to be moved and mm-hmm. stuff, but I mean, yeah, I really love it. I love teaching my classes they are so much fun to whoever yeah. wants to bring them. So yeah. So anything you'd like to talk about and add like any projects that you're working on right now? Uh, these days I I'm just doing a lot of podcasts. I've got two that I'm that I have right now. I have one called Tool Queens, which which I do with uh, Mark Rennie, and that one we have guests come on with movies and we rate the movies to figure out how gay they are. It's <laughs> a very so- scientific, <laughs> complex, and Byzantine scoring system. And then I also am doing this other sort of limited series podcast with my friend Eric Bernat. It's called the Celebration Celebration. We're both yeah. big Madonna fans, oh, so we it. were going through all of her tours and just talking about all of her tours. We've just finished up that because we're going to go see. Well, our plan is to see it in September. Who knows? Those are currently up in the air as at the moment of recording this. But we're going to start recording some episodes about like other performances, like when she was in the Super Bowl or Saturday Night Live or, you know, yeah. on the VMAs. So if you want to hear a bunch of uh, middle-aged gay men uh, about uh, Madonna. geek out over Madonna, check out the Celebration Celebration. Yeah, I went to her Blonde Ambition tour oh, or wow. Bustier. I remember that. It was so great. You know, yeah, that tour. I mean, that's I the went tour. To- that's the one. Yeah, I went to two of her tours. That one and the one where she dressed like an Asian person and went flying through the sky. Oh, Drowned World. That's another great tour. <laughs> That's a really good one. 
<laughs> she has that kimono she... with the 50 foot wingspan, <laughs> yeah. arm span. Yeah. Oh, good. I mean, her shows, you you have to admit, were really good. I mean, oh, yeah. and then Lady Gaga, like <laughs> totally copied off of her. Oh, everyone know. copied off of yeah, Blonde Ambition Tour changed pop tours forever. Yeah. Well, that's how, I mean, if you're paying big money for a concert, you want to see a show. I mean, come oh, on. exactly. I am yeah. sorry. I mean, like she's there. Her tickets are insane. Um, yeah. But when you go see the show, you're like, well, Okay, it's not just her and standing in front of a band singing a song. She's got dancers, she's got costumes, yeah. she's got set pieces, she's got video projections. There, she really had sort of elevated tours to like a sort of like an art installation yeah, kind and of that, place. I think that's how it should be. I remember when I went to go see Erasure, mm-hmm. uh, an Erasure tour, and it was very much like that, you know. And it was, um, I believe, before I went to the Madonna yeah. uh, concerts. Um, but yeah, Erasure. Uh, it was just like watching a show. It was so good. And mm-hmm. it was, you know, all of their songs, you know, right. put to this um, <laughs> but musical. Like made to be like, yeah, made for stage. Like we're theatricalizing them because you're yeah. watching us perform them. It's not just listening to Oh, it's to great. Them. The costumes were great. The dancers mm-hmm. were great. I mean, um, yeah, it, it was really good. Okay. And also your book, where can people yes. get? Oh yeah. Big sex, book? drugs, and alternative comedy. You can buy it on Amazon, of course, or if you want an autographed copy, you can order it on my website, which is johnflinncomedian.com. Awesome. And uh, I can sign it for you. And a percentage for the proceeds goes to the last prisoner project, which is a, oh. uh, a nonprofit organization that helps overturn wrongful drug uh, prosecutions. I love that. That's yep. great. So, and uh, coming soon to Netflix, right? <laughs> right. Baked. Hopefully. Well, I am a muse, you know, I am a magical muse. So people who have come on the show have gone on to do very great things. Um, oh, wonderful. Like Charles Graber came on and he did the good nurse and yes, he, okay. um, you know, <laughs> all right. He wrote the good nurse and uh, you know, I had him on in 2019 and he's on Netflix. And okay. then uh, we have uh, Danielle. Do you remember Danielle? And she was on the prices, right? Gosh, what, why can't I remember her last name? Uh, she was on my show as well. Okay. Um, she's going to kill me that I don't know, but she was a comedian <laughs> and a storyteller, but she was just, uh, she's done several Netflix shows. She was on my awesome. storytelling show back in 2015. She's been on this podcast All right. um, and she just uh, was a Spider-Man character in the wow. new Spider-Man movie. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. She was the disabled Spider-Man character, which I think is a female. Okay. So yeah. So all right. well, never all know. Right. The I'm magic is to this about Netflix. you. Okay. Netflix coming soon. <laughs> looking forward to it. Thank yeah, you. You're, you're like, watch. Someone's going to be like, hello, John, this is Netflix. <laughs> You've been stealing a password. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't share the passwords. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. This has been Thank super you. fun. So much all fun. right. All right. Bye. Did you laugh? Come on. You know that episode was funny. Thank you for listening to the Nurses and Hypochondriacs podcast. We'd love it if you left us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to know more about Rogue Nurse Media, the Nurses and Hypochondriacs podcast, and the well-written nurse writing classes, you can go ahead and click on the link to join our newsletter at the end of the show notes. Go ahead and throw us some bucks. We'd love a donation. You can go ahead and donate on our Venmo site at Nurses Hypo and also the PayPal link at the end of the show notes. <laughs>